0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Faith and Entheogens, the community-inspired podcast where we dive into deep conversations with our guests about entheogenic plant and animal medicines with a focus around spiritual and integration practices for personal growth and spirituality. In today's episode, we're very privileged to bring on one of our favorite musicians, Gareth, better known as Miskitaki. We dive deep into his background, some of his inspirations for writing uh, El Lobo y La Luna, as well as Dr. Fox and Friends, two phenomenal albums that he's put out um, in the progression of his music career. And uh, we get to focus on The Four Altars as well, which is a book written by Alonso del Rio that Miskitaki participated in editing, publishing, and developing coursework material that is coming to us in 2022. So we're thrilled to have him on as a guest. We're very excited to share this conversation with you and we hope you enjoy it. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you very much uh, for tuning in to Faith and Entheogens. Today, we are hosting Gareth, better known as Miskitaki. He's a medicine musician and medicine man who is uh, currently working out of Peru and traveling uh, across the globe, basically, uh, sharing his medicine music and uh, and his spirit with others. So we'd like to welcome him. Gareth, thank you so much for being here today.
1: Yeah, thanks, Sergio. It's a pleasure to join you today. And- Yeah, relatively new thing for me to to uh, to be to be interviewed. uh, Yeah, this is actually our
0: first. Yeah, this is our first official podcast without Raquel and I just having a conversation together. So the first podcast was essentially just an introduction of us to anyone who isn't part of the agape community. And uh, and now we're bringing bringing the goods to people. So we're really thrilled to have you today. Um, I've been a really long fan. I was actually just looking at the photo we took of each uh, uh with each other in orlando and that was almost two years ago on the 10th of november Yeah. so the time flies you know so a lot has changed for both of us um, i remember that being a beautiful experience and uh and in those moments telling you that at some point we were going to meet again and uh and luckily that's going to be in the next uh in the, in the coming week actually so and so next week you'll be here in houston with us uh gracing us with your music and um yeah, but I'd love for you to, uh, to introduce yourself to our audience. Um, so if you would, um, you know, just uh, give us a little bit about yourself and and how you came to be Miskitaki.
1: I, uh, uh, I was thinking and reflecting on this earlier. It's it's kind of a, it's kind of an interesting juxtaposition because on the one hand, I really, I I like to share who I am, but especially through the music, I I feel that that is, is a really good way for, for, for me to share without me having to, to define myself. Um, I tend to walk a path which is, I remember these words from when I was very young, which is uh, erase personal history, you know, to be free of this story of, of who, who I am or what others wish me to be. So it's, it's hard to explain myself to, to, to people whilst I'm deconstructing. So, yeah, I I feel very blessed to have been uh, to been able to walk the path that I've walked. Um, and, Miskitaki is a is a is a name that was given to me by a teacher of mine, um, probably a decade ago. Um, after completing a certain stage of, of my study with with him, he leaned over to me one night at the end of end of our work evening and. And he said, uh, "I've I've been told that you your name is Miskitaki. It means man who sings sweetly." And I reflected on that for a little bit at the time, and I thought, "Okay, that's very nice. I, I kind of like my own name as well." Um, but it's nice to be <laughs> nice to be given a name. And when I came to record the first album, I I decided to use that name instead of my birth name, and it stuck. So it's, it's very hard to change an artist's name after after some time. So I'm I'm happy to carry that name, um, but is is also only one aspect of of who I am, which is which is um, something that I I'm constantly exploring. That question, who am I, is is a recurrent question in in my life, and every every inquiry seems to take it a little deeper. So I I understand that's a little vague answer to your question. Um, <laughs>
0: No, it's, uh, that, that's perfect. And then, um, so, so Gareth, who, who was Gareth prior to, to Miskitaki?
1: Uh well, Gareth was an inquisitive, inquisitive man, or an inquisitive adolescent, an inquisitive boy, who um, was very fortunate to be educated and brought up in the way that he was um, by, his, by his parents, uh, by my parents, um, in a really good way. And yeah, I, I was inquisitive for, for a long time, which led me to the, you know, to inquire into, into that question, again, who am I? And to want to explore that connection with the interior and the exterior in, in quite a deep way. And I think coming from the upbringing that I came from, which is well, it was, it was European, it was British? We have quite a rich history um, of of mythologies and mystical experiences which were largely pushed down, as they have been in many parts of the world, by uh, not getting into too much of a debate about organized religion, but let's say the split between the spiritual and the material worlds. So I started to feel the, the direct experiences of the spirit and I couldn't quite relate to them within the context that was offered to me in my, in my native environment in the form that it was offered at the time. So I I started to inquire a little into into other modes and modalities and other philosophies that could resonate a little bit deeper with me. So I, I set off on a journey of exploration i should say or the interior and exterior worlds um i decided to do that when i was 17. and it still continues so
0: yeah and 17 is a very developmental age i think that's about the age that i was i was about as inquisitive as you were right so we um mm-hmm. i i grew up uh very similarly and in, in a, in a Beautiful household. You know, my parents uh were both spiritual and um and good examples in the community. So um a lot of my um a lot of my influence that led me to working with, you know, master plants and seeking more it was uh a result of um, you know, traumas that I received actually afterwards in in uh, my military experience. Um so when actually we met, that was that was what I was working through at the time was. Was overcoming social anxiety, hypervigilance, um, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, things of that nature that all follow. Trying to uh, to mask the emotions that we're feeling, especially for you know someone like a um, a veteran, you know, the entire training is is teaching you not to not to show weakness. You know, so we have, we swallow this very large pill every single day. And, uh, usually it's chased with, with some sort of substance to allow us to just kind of work, um, in, in a, a way that's normal, you know, in, in a societal, like accepted in society, in those senses, um, which, which creates just more disaster. As you know, um, I know you've, you worked with warrior quest out in, uh, in Orlando a few times too, and, and are a, a supporter of that. Um, but what led you to, to working with, uh, master plants?
1: I think it was a continuation of that inquiry of... um, I spent, I spent a good, I don't know, a good, a good... let's just say some years, a good few years uh, exploring, um, exploring, you know, meditation and yoga and alternate, alternate life philosophies, which resonated with me. And along that path, I... I became, through the lifestyle that I was living, I, I became aware of the presence of, of Master Plants. Um, and that, that resonance, that resonance in the one or two good friends that I really met in those early, in those early years, I, I could identify there was something that they understood that I didn't quite get, but I knew that I understood. And I somehow managed to link the two together, the two friends together. And the shared experience was their experience of Master Plants. And it, it called to me very strongly and woke something up inside of me that said, OK, it's time. Well, I didn't say it was time at the time. It, it woke something up and when the time was right, then it led me to, to decide to take that jump which it really was, it was a, it was a jump that catalyzed huge change in, in the life and helped to consolidate a lot of what I already felt and a lot of my lived experience and it helped to give me the direct experience that I was, I was looking for. So I think that is what, that's what led me, what's led me to it was a combination of trial and error and recognizing those synchronicities that, that that speak so and yeah inquisitiveness curiosity and a certain <laughs> amount of um desire for interior deep interior change or transformation maybe we could call it
0: yeah no and i can i can completely relate to that and i think most people that are listening to this can too because it's uh I think it's a result of of living in the societies that, that we currently are living in, you know, um, there's I, the only people privy to to accepting this as something normal are indigenous tribes that work with these medicines, you know, from from childhood throughout their entire life and know it to be um, just a a uh, practice of, of spirituality and enlightenment and, and gaining wisdom from, from their experiences and knowledge and things of that nature. So for us, you know, being conditioned, I think we're we all hit that, you know that aha moment that, that is just so, um, you know, tantalizing and, and uh, sparks the, the curiosity in us um, to pursue you know this this path further. And um, we get to see it a lot in, you know, hosting ceremonies for people and, and working with others and integration, I cover it all the time. You know, most people come out of their first experience wanting to serve uh, the medicine in one capacity or another, you know, so either either serving the mission of the medicine or, or those that, are, that come out braver than others and decide that they're, they're going full on, um, you know, into a shamanic or, or um, you know, medicine man or woman path um so it's it's very much i think a product of of you know almost being or the feeling of of not having access to this until later on in our lives you know and and that curiosity just kind of creates it goes from a spark to a flaming you know bonfire in in those moments yeah so it's it's very interesting and what's even more interesting is is the development we're currently seeing you know in in especially in the united states and europe where where entheogens are being looked at for a second time and uh and evaluated for for medical use and and legalization um so what do you think the future of entheogens looks like for us
1: well that's a very it's a very full topic um and i can't predict the future i haven't Right. quite gain that ability yet uh, there's been right. times I thought at the times I thought I could but maybe you know the last year or two has really put that into question <laughs> right. um, but going back just a little bit into that that nature of service and i think that that thing that's woken up inside of of people is is the shared humanity the shared respect And the grow building that respect and that respect of service and that respect of community that is so much so much missing in in many societies these days. And it's really interesting um, the way that people are called into service. And it's also fascinating to realize that service is service. It like you said, there are so many different ways that people could be called into service of the master plants or called into service of the planet or called into service of people or animals or whatever particularly resonates with themselves and the way that the plants seem to activate the best possible way for that to happen for every individual if they're willing to, to take that path. And certainly what I've experienced in in retreat formats and things like this is, yeah, it might seem like there's, there's an important person that's doing the work but the whole support network is, is, is of equal importance and it could be the person who is taking care of you know making sure the candles are lit or the person that's taking care of preparing the food of complete equal importance in terms of service to that to that that ceremony or that setting and I think that's really important to to stress that yeah some are called to walk a uh, you know a more it might seem elaborate path, um, uh, but service is service,
0: uh, right? Absolutely, and coming down, it's to- you know, like the Lakota, and and Raquel touched on this, um, in, in our previous podcast where the Lakota share a saying of sorts, um, based on a ceremonial circle, like. And on a ceremonial uh, circle, the setup there is no start or end to the to the circle. It's a continuation of mm-hmm. of the uh, of the ceremony. So, um, in those reflections, you know what what's come to me and in my uh, ceremonial experience, uh, the little bit that I have in the last you know several years. But nonetheless, one thing I recognize is that in circle we're always sitting across from someone, regardless of what your role is. So no matter what, there's another human being looking right back at you. You know, and I think that's just a tremendous equalizer and and really um, resonates with what you're saying is, um, you know, there is there is no lack of importance when it comes to ceremony. The participants, the uh, the setting, the, you know, everything that, that brings it together is what makes a ceremony beautiful. And I mm-hmm. completely agree with you. I think that's um, that's the most important thing, and uh, you know, on the subject of, of the question, I hope that that's what the future looks like, <laughs> like where we where we're all just um, cooperating in a collective way, and um, and making this beautiful. You know, a lot of what I think we're going through is a rediscovery of what has already been in practice for millennia. You know, so there's in in my mind, there's a, a correct way of doing certain things, but but we have to adapt to and. To the day and age you know where we have you know access to to um, different resources things of that nature that will allow us to make the ceremonial space more beautiful and and uh highlight the reverence that's required in those spaces too so um so you know i think that uh, so long as we hold on to into the good parts you know the future is bright and and um i know there is no lack of of discovery of spirituality in these in these circles you know which is um essentially why we, why we brought the subject of this of this podcast into faith and in entheogens you know so it's um it's something i hope to see in the future and i'm sure you share the same sentiment as yeah
1: well. i do um i'm i'm optimistic i'm optimistic that that globally there is there is a shift happening that that is allowing space for these, for the antigens to, to be, to have their place, to have their place for, to help with what they can help with. And the correct, the way that it seems to go is through, it has to be scientifically documented and approved. And so I'm happy to see that there are, there are various states within the states who are making some new, as far as I understand, some new laws for this. There's also a, there's also a contrary force as well, um, which, which doesn't seem quite so allowing. Um, But what I would, what I would hope is that, is that that space and understanding of, of the antiogenic plants or whichever we're talking about, uh, without naming any specifically, that there's a space that allows them to be held in respect, and to be to be used in a good and safe way because in, in my ideal vision then that's the that's the way of the future which is the way of the past um, and okay. and it, it rec- recognizes the ancestral nature and the essentially human nature of of these these allies these teachers these friends and and allows them to be used in in good context good context, by, by skilled people, uh, in a good way, the more that it's, it's like most things, the more things are driven underground, then the more potential there is for, for misuse. Like, so it, it really comes down to, to respect and understanding, which comes down to good education, good education of the people who misclassify, misclassify, miscomprehend um that these ancestral teachers or these ancestral medicines are classified as drugs and yet drugs right. are classified as medicine. You know, it's it's a mis- it's a miscomprehension and I think re education is key. And I think some of the ways that the re education can be accepted is through good scientific research and documentation of cases and the need for it. I mean we we know that there's there's incredible results for for deep trauma work, for addiction work, um, for reconnecting reconnecting a person with, with their roots, with their with their spiritual essence, with their with their soul that's going into metaphysics, but but I but even from the from the healing perspective, like of, of deep trauma, PTSDs, um so the more documented cases there are, that are done in good research, in good ways, then the more it has the possibility to have a really positive impact on educating the mentality of a, of, of a system which says that this is something that is, should not be allowed. And for me, it's incomprehensible that, that, a, certain, that a certain whole section of, of plants cannot be... Someone has made a law that says this cannot be allowed. Um, For whatever reason you know that that's very that that's a very bizarre line of thought from my mind But we see things opening up especially in in some ways in north america and maybe some ways in some parts of europe also and i can only hope that that it continues to be that way but it's going to require a lot of prayer and a lot of education from grassroots you know so the people that are new to coming to working with entheogens are also educated about the ancestral lineage. They're also also respect taught about the the respect for the ceremony, for the space, for the for the for the plant. So that that redefinition inside of the mind can happen. That this is not an experience that that makes a person high or or whatever. It's it is treated and held with, with respect and reverence and I think that is one thing that we can really bring into service of of the plant teachers in general is the way that the way that we hold it, the way that we educate our, our friends, our family, and those that we come across into how they hold it, how they express it, because how they express it is gonna is gonna have an impact on how people start to think about it. And things can change super quick these days. Yeah, for positive or or for the other way, you know. So that's uh, my my prayer is uh, is 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 every person resonates a positive impact and a positive way of relating within their language, and within their their being of of how they hold these plants. So.
0: Yeah, beautifully said, and I really feel like you know all the data that that we're collecting right now and the research is is primarily for the skeptics, right, and the people that need convincing that this is. Uh, something that's impacting a lot of lives, and uh, and the frustration that that I share is that that you know we have testimonials, beautiful testimonials of of people who have overcome serious traumas, or even just rediscovered spirituality. You know, non-believers now believing in in the higher power. You know, um, all these things we're privy to. You know, in, in the work that we do but um it it doesn't seem to be the message that is being received instead we're we're in search of explaining why it works and uh it's either skeptics or or pharmaceutical companies that need to know why it works right that's the reality of it if they can't put it in a bottle then um then it's going to be a detriment to their their current business model you know that's just a reality of of the condition and that's why you know these plants are scheduled um in the way that they are is because they're, they're um they're healing symptoms that um that create lasting customers in in a current business model you know so unfortunately so mm-hmm. I, I think um you know and really an, another purpose of this show is is to bring into into light you know some some testimonials some stories uh, centered around spirituality take the focus away from what what the youtube audience uh, seems to be running with in the. Uh, psychoactive components of some of these master plants and highlighting their uh, very anecdotal experience you know to uh to uh heighten people's expectation with sitting in these in these ceremonial spaces and uh and in turn creating disappointment when they arrive and and uh, they don't see you know aliens or entities or whatever the case may be they just uh you know and it's funny because in my volunteer experience i can clearly remember um a participant in a ceremony leaving and uh just very disappointed saying you know all i saw was my childhood trauma i didn't come for this i was supposed to see you know spaceships and aliens and you know whatever they said on youtube i didn't it wasn't delivered and it was like man you literally received what most people were here you know the answers that you had no idea were surfacing you know so that you can better yourself and heal yourself you know but in that moment she her frustration was through the influence of of you know um the psychoactive component of of this when in reality in, in my mind at at least that's the sleight of hand of the of the magician you know the true the true uh work is being done behind the scenes you know if you have your eyes open and you're distracted by the the bright lights and things like that you've missed the mark you know the the work is being done internally while you're being distracted by these by these visions you know and in some cases you know people can translate visions into a very beautiful healing experience um but in my experience you know sitting in in reverence with your eyes closed and, and being at peace with yourself and understanding yourself looking um for answers in silence and uh and inspiration through, through and three ghettos and music and the like um is how you truly come to to the answers to move forward with the healing process and and uh and get back to oneness it's a you know it's a dance uh, that i think we'll forever be participating in absolutely mm-hmm. yeah. but um but yeah it's um it's nonetheless uh the path we have chosen gareth <laughs> so so we're both here i, I think to learn and, and just exercise what it is that that we gather from from these experiences in in a way that's meaningful mm-hmm. absolutely but um moving on to to your bread and butter, which I believe to be music, you know you your your name carries uh, that you are the, you're a beautiful singer you're one of our favorites, you know, um, and we use a lot of your music in our our uh, music guided um, ceremonies. Um, so so we're thrilled to to hear you talk about you know your projects and things like that in, in this uh, segment, um, but how did you find yourself. In you know, and, and the obvious answer here, right is going to be that you were working with medicine and you already had you know a background in music. but have, at what point did you decide in your career path that medicine music was going to be your focus? I, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fair enough.
1: <laughs> I, I consider it I consider it one, one arrow in the quiver. Um, right. And it's I I greatly appreciate it. Is I am very grateful. Yeah, I did. You're right. I had a very musical background, um, very musical upbringing. I gave up playing music in my early twenties because I wasn't satisfied with what I had to say, and I wasn't satisfied with the response that I was getting from people, and I wasn't satisfied with the places I was playing in. And then. After meeting the, I mean, it's one of the beauties of of master plants is they, if you if you if you wish, then they will unlock a, a channel of creativity, and continue to pray for it, and keep it open, and and yeah, I'm very grateful that 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 channel was found, uh, that I managed to find it, or that that creativity was unlocked within me. Um, In terms of medicine music, I like I say I don't really consider myself myself that but one of the primary ways that I work is with is with the guitar. Another with rattles mostly. But um yeah, is it I, I just like writing songs. I what can I say? And I like translating my life experience into songs. I like translating some of the more challenging experiences I've ever gone through into songs which provided resolution for me or brought healing for me or brought support in that moment when I really needed it. And I feel blessed to be able to have that for me, mm-hmm. I, to be able to share it with other people is, is wow, that's beautiful. But for me, it's, it's, it's the, my favorite thing to do is... Is to play the guitar. Is to write. Is to write music, or to not even sure I write it, receive it. Um, um, and I suppose how I ended up in that kind of field is that, yeah, uh, it opened up that space um, for me. I and I wasn't thinking of the guitar. I wasn't really thinking at all like, um, about trying to do anything. But I heard a song. Which I guess is medicine music, um, like many years ago now. And it inspired me. Uh, it was called a uh, Song called Camino de Estrellas. Um, and it inspired me to think maybe, okay, I I could write something this this, this beautiful with a guitar. So I picked up the guitar again after after well, some years of not playing. And I read an interview by the by the man who, who wrote the song. I dug around on on almost the pre-internet to find to find it. And I read this little article. The only thing I could find by this man, and it said, that, you know, after his many years of of learning Icaros, um his teacher said to him, you know, your your songs on your guitar are your Icaros. You know, so it opened up that space to think that okay, well. Maybe that's something that I could I could explore a little more, and after a few years of of practice, I managed to gain a few good songs and some confidence to to actually share them in front of people. And you've got to say the ceremonial ceremonial audience is quite a, quite a, an agreeable bunch usually. <laughs> <You know>?
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: so, so I was very I was very fortunate with that, and you know I spent a good few years with. Um, in the more traditional way, learning yoros uh, from one of my teachers, and and that helped to open up the voice and the creativity and that that sensitivity. And then, yeah, I think it was more writing songs from my heart about that were inspirational for me or possibly for others. And so that's how I kind of ended up in that space. Really, is um, yeah just started playing and it flowed and it's still flowing so i don't i don't predict that it's i don't predict that it's ending or going anywhere or i just it's something i do for love like love of playing
0: i think uh you know anything done in love is is going to be of quality you know so I, i would agree with you and and um I don't, I don't see it ending anytime soon either for you. You know, I've enjoyed your music for quite a while. It's actually been a huge part of my integration process. You know, I don't, I'm sure you're not aware of this because I've never shared it with you, but a lot of the concepts that you share within your music are worldly, are of ancient wisdom and ancient teachings. And without um, Google searching what it was you were, you were singing about in your lyrics, I wouldn't have found um you know um practices of gratitude uh for instance ho'oponopono i i discovered through your cover of or you wrote a song on, on soundcloud of ho'oponopono and uh, it's basically talking about the meditative practice of ho'oponopono and, and cleansing the mind of of uh grief and, and things of that nature that are limiting um i discovered that through your music um you know animism um just practices of gratitude awareness of of you know um the elements of uh you know ancient ways like I don't know how else to say it uh, without leading directly into the song that you wrote on (laughs) Dr. Fox and friends you know but um nonetheless it's been a huge part of of my development in this space and uh and as, as I said we have some favorites in our circles that that um when I lead, I, I make sure to use um to help guide people and set the tone. Um, you know, to name a few, you know, ancient ways. Of course, I close every single one of my ceremonies uh with a cleanse. And the song that's playing in the background is Ancient Ways, because I feel that song is is best received with an open heart, you know, because these are these are realizations that people often come to um in the medicine and in those spaces, sharing, sharing those you know uh those uh circles with with others and uh, and coming back to to being human you know so um so that's uh that's a favorite of ours um medicine of the pure white wolf another absolute favorite of ours be beautiful um, corazon de colibri yeah corazon de colibri um for those that, that aren't aware that's going to be the the song uh, you know the theme song of our wedding, essentially. So, um, so Raquel and I um, are just beyond blessed to have Gareth, uh, you know, lead our our wedding celebration um, next weekend here in Houston, and uh, and he's he's promised that he's going to play that song for us. So I think he's he's added some extra effort in in getting prepared for that, which we we just are completely grateful for. Um, and we're really excited uh, to have you in, in that sense as well. So it's going to make the day a lot more special for us, without a doubt. Um, but yeah, coming back to, to the songs, like, I, you know, I've seen and just following as a fan, right? There's, um, there's a huge difference, I believe, in the songs that were written in the album, uh, El Lobo y la Luna versus Dr. Fox and Friends. Um, and it seems like there's, there's, you know, um, uh, some development there that I'd love to hear from you. You know, the like how the inspirations changed. Um, you know, what what created those differences in, in the delivery of your music.
1: Yeah, I would say, Hello Boy, la Luna." The first album was, was all of those songs. I'm, I'm fond of. You know, some of them are still, you know, still resonating and reverberating and developing. Every song is, every song develops. I mean, I don't think there's ever a finish to them. It's like they're born and then they grow and they have their entire life of their own. And it's to respect that and to allow that flow as well. And even the way you play them changes over the years and they grow into themselves. And so I'd say what the real difference between the two is that there was a lot of change in the life a lot of different growth and experiences gone through between those two albums there was there was the passing of my father there was definitely a lot more work around the altars of, of different traditions and all of those songs were pretty much honed or written in a in a long dieta that I made in the jungle uh, on my own. So it was the first time I I took a good a good month and a half or so in the jungle on my own with nobody else around. In uh, I, I really most of those songs came in that particular time, and concurrently with that. They came just after I'd spent six months translating the book, "The Four Altars" by Alonso del Rio, and obviously having spent the three years in between the albums, really sitting sitting with Alonso, uh, living living alongside him. So they brought, and for me to to have that to have those blessings in my life enabled me to to learn a lot more about the process of, of songwriting I still still have a lot to learn um but to sit sit alongside somebody somebody like that and to to be under that kind of uh instruction shall we say or transmission um, I think it brought a little bit more depth to that to that album and again more more cohesiveness and more uh, the songs are a way to get prayer out into the world, and I felt like the prayer on that album was was good. So yeah, I think there's so many factors involved, but you know, being in the jungle for that time was was truly truly something. And what it really, what it gave to me, you know, what the 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 plants I was dieting in the jungle gave to me was many of those songs. So in the traditional way, the plants are the ones that give the Ikros, if you give yourself the time and the space and the silence and the receptivity to receive. So they might clean that channel out a bit more and then suddenly there's a wave of inspiration. And it's coming from that place. So many of those are linked to those plants that I was that I was
0: under guidance from. So. And I'd love uh if you would, I know that that the icaros process is a is a very personal one and uh and a, a dedicated one, one driven by and by experiences that you know working in master plants or even through dietas. Um icarolindo is, is a beautiful, you know, beautifully recorded, you know, version, I think, or your your icaro. Um as I understand it, right? I'm I'm a consumer of yours, so I can only I can only imagine that that's the story behind it. Um, but I'd love to hear about you know the setting, if if that's possible, or or the experience and in, in the discovery process of of coming to to writing Icarolindo and and sharing that with the world.
1: Icarolindo was um is not is not my is not the necro that I received. It's necro that was passed to me by by one of my teachers, Don Javier. Oh, I see. Um, and the inspiration really was I have a friend who is a is a very a very good producer and DJ and he he wished to collaborate on a on a song, and he's a he's a fan of that of you know, Don Javier Zicaros he knows him also, so we decided that we were going to work on that song and and he he produced that one for for us. And we released that song as a as a fundraiser when Don Javier had a stroke um, quite a young stroke i would say and so it felt like a real blessing to to be able to do that our our idea was to kind of make a an ambient kind of track and we tried different forms it was ever so it was so it was so fun in his little in his little home studio and I asked him to put some big kind of like house beats underneath it at one point right. and I and I loved it. I thought that's that's fantastic. But he, he said that's kind of what he does every day. He wanted to do something a little bit different. So, so yeah, we ended I up think, with the version uh, we have.
0: Yeah, I think the hang pen lends itself really well and in accompanying your voice in that song too. And there's there's just you know enough of modern and enough of of uh like you know inspiration i think from from entheogens uh to to make it just a beautiful you know song to to deliver in a ceremonial setting i it's it's another one that i use uh you know on occasion to, to allow people to to connect a little deeper and and uh find that space that, that will allow them you know to to arrive to where they need to be i guess it's, it's different for everyone but But nonetheless, it's very powerful, and and I appreciate you sharing that with us for sure. Thank you. And so, um, are are you working on any new projects right now as far as albums? Or I know you had um, a live album release um, coming up by chance.
1: No, I my intention is to get some good quality live recordings done in the next couple of months. I, 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 I almost I <laughs> yeah I need I almost did a couple of weekends ago. I I tried to I tried to record and straight through straight through a PA system and I was so happy with I thought well oh, if, if okay if if that's if that's recorded it's all done like the live album is done. I'm not I'll edit it out and you know pick the best. But I didn't. I never used the machine before and I forgot to turn the volume up so none of it recorded. So right. so hopefully in the next couple of months I'll, I'll get enough high quality live recordings to put a quick live album out before next year. Next year I plan first half of the year to, to get into the studio again and it'll have to be a stripped back version from the last time um, but planning to record that in the first half of the next year first, first quarter ideally It should only take uh, take a week or two. And there's a lot of songs waiting to get onto that album.
0: Yeah, and I've been privileged uh, to hear some of those in your in your Facebook live uh, sessions, if you will, Um, for the audience uh, any listeners that aren't aware, Miskitaki has a presence on on Facebook where he'll uh, hold live sessions um in in his home in in most cases where he's just uh performing and engaging with the audience so and so i'd recommend y'all y'all check that out and and show some support for misky in that way too and like i said it's um you know i i always tilt an ear to the song that i don't recognize you know and, and really like drink it in because i know it's it's something that you haven't recorded yet and uh, and to touch back on what you were talking about earlier, you know, you can also hear the development from the recorded or the studio version of some of your songs uh, versus how you're performing them live now. So it's um it's nice to have malleable music, if you will, you know, something that's going to grow with the person. And um, and you know, it's not like like country music where it's just like uh, just canned and and constantly the same, you know but uh, but nonetheless it's it's refreshing to see that that's that's growing alongside you
1: yeah i think they're the children you know they you have to let them you have to take take care of them but you know you have to let them be also and it's like a spiral like the more i the more i the more i walk the more i realize it's i'm not going in circles i'm just going in spirals you know i'm walking the spiral and every time it's getting a little deeper and a little higher at the same time and is so the songs acquire their own a little more depth and it's the same in, when they, when they're used in the ceremonial setting the the more the more they used the more medicine they, they they begin to to embody and that's that's something that i think that that is independent of of whether it's a song or whether it's a person you know the more the more embodied it becomes then the more tangible the more more, the more imbued with life and i think that that's 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 a process of life in itself you know?
0: oh absolutely i agree wholeheartedly too and there's something about it you know and it's something that, that i'm coming to terms with too as i'm developing my ceremonial process you know we we introduce music in our ceremonies that is either an accompaniment to to live music or an acapella singing of of uh you know songs that were written by others and in my observation you know music is very powerful it's vibration no different than we are and and in the in the heightened you know states that we're in um in these ceremonies it it lends itself very well to the healing process and to the spiritual process and and uh the experience uh, or journey nonetheless so um, what I'm noticing is that when there is an actual person versus a speaker playing the music and makes all the difference in the world, you know, there's, um, I think, I think there's answered answers found in, in the noise and the silence it's created in a live, you know, performance versus, um, you know, the, the recorded version of a song being played um, for a speaker. Is that something that, that you've noticed as well, like in, in your experience?
1: I mean, that's it. I mean,
0: ultimately, that's it. I mean,
1: the recorded versions, are, they are fixed in form and they're fixed in tone and they might elicit certain things. But when there's an organic relationship between the person holding the space or the person performing in the space, then it's receptive and it's 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 exactly in a sensitive way, it could be what is needed at that moment and it can be it can be shaped in that way. Like you might feel to play a certain song and you've got one version if you press a play on a, on the iPad, you've got one version of that. But you might wanna if I said say for me, I might wanna play a certain song. But I can. There's a. There's a. There's many different ways I can play the same song, for depending on the feel of the room or the feel of the space, and how to. I could play the same song but softer. I could, I could build a dynamic which is which is more. More in tune, shall we say? So so, it, there is a difference, and I think that's part of, sensing the space really and. You know, I'm not saying that one is. There is no better or worse. I'm just saying that it's a more interactive experience, in in that
0: way for me. For, but sometimes
1: it's really nice to sing along with a song. You know.
0: <laughs> so, no, absolutely. It's um. It's it's. I think there's power in both. You know, but I I definitely you know in my observation have noticed that. That when somebody is is bearing themselves whole, you know, to to the ceremony and and sharing their gift, it, it makes all the difference in the world, um, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. And ideally, I mean, if you break it down really to the fundamental, like let's just go to ikaros or chants or whatever. They, what is being said, is. It's a transmission. It's a transmission, which is intentional, exactly intentional. I mean, it's not just a, not just a song that's being sung. It's a, it's a song that's being intended, intended to be medicine. I mean, the Icaros are medicine. They're not a song which is to work with medicine. They're considered medicine in themselves. That's why we call them medicine songs. Like they carry medicine and they carry medicine into that space. And they're not one of the one of the primary things about Ikros or intentional healing music is focus. The minute you're not focused, it's not going correct. It's not straight. And it's not Yeah, it's not directed. So it's continuing with that prayer continuing with that focus that this is this this is for healing I am singing for the people I am singing so that they can know that they are safe so that they can know that they are receiving the message or the intention behind it this might awaken that that might awaken that that might bring this out this might do this I, and that's the process of that's one of the processes that I was that I've been taught is that Is we sing for the people, we sing for the healing, we sing for the inspiration, we sing for the for the space, and we can sing for the spirits as well. But primarily, you know, we are we are giving our attention and our focus 100% to to that. So it's the difference between a music which is a distraction and a music which is medicine.
0: So
1: so yeah, there's there's going to
0: be a bit of a difference. Right. And it carries a, a certain level of, of selflessness and, and service. No different than than the rest of the roles and in, in the ceremony, I'd say. Um, people, often I...
1: people often say, you know, is I don't know how you can sing and play and do this. And he's Like, I have a lot of help, you know, is I can't I can't take the credit. For, I can't take the credit for it, you know, his medicine that's playing through, you know, that's uh, who picks the who picks the setlist, you know, is we, it's a synthesis. It's a synthesis between everything that has been learned. It's a inter- synthesis between this plant teacher and this channel. You know, step, step back, let it come. So, it
0: hmm. r- reels in the, the symphony of life. <laughs> Just a symbiotic relationship between medicine and music, I, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. beautiful. How would you say Gareth that that your mentors and teachers have have shaped your your music after after finding yourself in this role? I I mean they are and always will be
1: um, inspirations and I hold incredible gratitude for them all. They, they are the ones that have walked the path longer. They're The ones that have given a helping hand to to somebody that they that was persistent enough to just, you know to 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 want to want to work with them, you know, I consider them each one of each one like um like a, a kind of totem pole. Each one is is a support is a, is a, is an incredible wealth of support and strength and inspiration and an encouragement. And also, I feel very grateful for the opportunity to to explore these different different areas from the yeah from all of them. I will have to say, and I'm, you say it's still an ongoing process, and that's what I said earlier. That I don't see it ending. Is it is an ongoing process, and I'm incredibly grateful for the continued expansion and continued prayers for that expansion, you know, within within me. And I also consider that they hold that space. To allow me to explore, you know. Um, so, yeah, I's, yeah, I can only give my my gratitude and respect. And without 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 these these men and women on the path in my life, then, then yeah, I wouldn't, it wouldn't, I would wouldn't be the same. So. Yeah, it's humble. It's, it feels it feels very very beautiful to acknowledge that, uh, acknowledge that, because it was one. It was some of these people that have inspired me the most, uh, not just in, in their creativity, but in the way that they live, in the past that they've walked, in the prayer that they carry. And each one of them unique and beautiful in their own way and human, which is really important, you know, Not perfect, enlightened beings, but really human. And I appreciate it
0: very much. Oh, beautiful. Well, you're definitely doing uh, doing them some honor in, in your work. And, you know, we appreciate your gift, you know, Raquel and I, as I said, are, are huge fans of your music and and uh, it only seems to be flourishing. And, uh, and finding itself in the right circles which uh which we're hoping to to influence too you know along the way just um i, I pretty much tell everybody that i meet about you <laughs> so that's that's a part of uh of me just uh, hoping and encouraging you to, to continue on this path so so thank you very much for for sharing your gift with the world and and um i can't wait to see where it where it comes from uh or you know goes you know in the future so so thank you for that and uh looking forward uh to hearing it live uh next weekend, not this coming weekend, but the weekend following. So it's gonna be a, a true gift to have you in, in our presence. Um but you know, to touch on your mentors, um, you know, kind of a perfect lead into into the Fuller altars by Alonso Del Rio. Um that is that's someone that that you've been you know seeking guidance through and working with uh for quite a while now. Um that uh, you were part of that project, right? Um, helping translate and and bring the four altars um, into an English uh, version of the book, so that so that the Western world can can consume it. What was that like for you?
1: That was one of the most. <sighs> that was hard work. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> Spanish isn't isn't incredible. Um, so I was working with my Spanish with Google Translate. Um, luckily, I had good. Ex- I I understand the four altars. Like I've been working with Alonso for for some years before within the design of the four altars. So, but it was incredibly beautiful process. Um, I have a history with with writing and editing so so it was a lot of fun for me but yeah it was six months of you know every day good few hours of of translation rewriting checking every sentence to make sure it was it was right working off the back of some pre-translation work done by some other friends Uh, but it was a real it was a real labor of labor of love and I learned a lot in that process as well Um, and then yeah we got it we got it translated edited published and still sharing still sharing them out with the world a little bit you know we we don't want to share them through the you know, the channels like Amazon and things like that mm-hmm. um, but it was probably one of the most it was a marker in my life and to be in an honor a complete honor and I felt like that was what when I come back to that dieter in the jungle I I literally finished the book two days before. We took it to the publishers, and then I was taken to the jungle and left there. And it felt like that dieta was the reward for the work that I'd, I'd been putting it, uh, on that. And, yeah, that was, that was phenomenal, really, to have that level of immersion into that topic. So,
0: yeah, what a gift. I can imagine. And I know... Um you know, I've had had the privilege of starting to read the book. And I'm, you know, about 70 pages in. And, uh, you know, the further I get in, the slower I start reading the content, because I feel like um, each section has an ideology to introduce along the way, you know, so I haven't even gotten to the four altars yet. I'm still in the introduction of of the four altars. And um, it's very beautifully written, it captures a lot of of wisdom um, that that undoubtedly was passed on from generations and and the level of understanding of of, um, you know the the life path, I think is is what's most important about this book. And I've actually I've taken an excerpt out of uh, the four altars just to to share with those who aren't familiar with the book. Um, Alonso del rio in the introduction writes that the purpose of the four altars is to teach us to recognize what is the mind and what is the consciousness. As well as offering the support we need to heal the wounded mind use it correctly and arrive at a consciousness that is united with love Mm -hmm. and um it's exactly that so far as as i said he's in and just in the in the little bit i've read uh, read so far he's already touched on the dark night of the soul he he talks about self-discovery reverence all sorts of uh, just very valuable lessons all preparing um, I think for the ultimate lesson of the four altars, you know. So it's it's um it's exciting. Um and uh I believe that that it can do a lot of good, you know, for for this time, you know, for for the current, you know, situation that we're in, um politically, societally, you know, just um I, I think it it could be a, a tremendous answer for for a need that that we're all in search for an answer to. So um, who do you think, Gareth, the target audience is for for this book?
1: I think the target audience for the book is genuine seekers of themselves and of a context through which to be able to work in relation to life. Um, and developing oh, it's 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 maybe not the target audience but because i think the target audience is is just to get the book out into the world and it'll fall into the right hands I. Right? but there has to be a certain level of inquiry you know there are a million books out there all with the secrets of life um you know and but what I find about the four altars is it offers a de- it offers um, a decent framework through which to be able to work through the different elements, let's say the earth, the air, the fire and and the water, not in the right order, but let's say the earth, the water, the fire, and the air. so it gives it gives the context and all of the different components. That we can explore within each one of the altars and bring understanding and healing to those relations. And again, it's a walk of the spiral. every every it's not an easy book to read, but the wealth of knowledge and information that's contained within it is is a lifetime. It's a lifetime, and bringing that relation and that conscious awareness to to those different different areas of life, I think yeah if people are seriously wanting to know what know themselves know what the purpose of of working in these ways is, then it provides a, a framework and an anchor which is is very grounded and i suppose you know it's the most elemental of of all of the kind of shamanic things the earth, the water the fire, and the air he's also the most human so for me, I think that you have to you have to be dedicated to want to walk that to walk that level of of learning and and learn from somebody else's experience. There are so many books that have been written, like you said, about the, the whiz and the bang and the flash and uh, the psychedelic experience by people with very little experience. You know, people they've had a, a few a few experiences and they've written a book about it, you know. Whereas this is a book written by somebody who's walked a pretty a pretty deep path for over forty years. Um, so it, it covers so many topics that and again opens up the doors of perception to to a different understanding and maybe helps know stay away from some of the the traps that are along the way um, so all right know, that's, absolutely. that's pretty much a, I don't know what more because I could talk, talk for a very long time about it but I can just I just assume it gets into the hands of the right people and they and they read it and like you said it's not it's not a quick read yeah. so there's, there's sometimes in one sentence it, it requires reflection for quite a long time
0: so. Well, and I think that's the idea behind um, the program that that y'all are putting together as as a part of studying this as as an ideology and and putting it into practice for people. As I, as I said before, you know, I have reread sentences probably four times in this book without moving forward because of how profound the insight is in in some of this uh, literature. You know, so it, it's very much. Um, a slow digestible book you know like you have to spend time with it and truly understand the essence of the message behind it which i think um warrants you know a study group warrants a a program to to help support these ideals in a way that's going to flourish and and help us all grow from from the lessons that he shares
1: yep yeah. yeah i definitely think so what i've realized in the past couple of years i've i've shared the book with with good friends and they've all had a similar experience and quite a few of them i've received a lot of phone calls over the last couple of years like hey can i talk about that you know (laughs) i i think i think i understand this bit but can we just have a chat and so i've ended up having a lot of conversations to support people's learning in in this through this book and i realized that that maybe uh Maybe it would be really good for me as well to to spend another good portion of time going through that going through that book and helping others to to learn in in a good way and also stay motivated to keep reading it. So you know, I can sit on the bedstand for ages. Um, so I asked I asked Alonso if I could have permission to design a design a study course uh, for people. So. He gave me that permission a couple of months ago. And I'm working on designing the, the course to begin next year for, yeah, it's like a seven-month four altar study course. There's other components too, but yeah, just providing a little community of like-minded people that, that can learn at a certain pace within a supportive community, like a little sangha, and discuss the topics that we're coming across. And try to embody that prayer in a life. I mean, there's so many little elements within each altar. You know, we can straighten out our relation with our... I mean, even in the altar of the earth. You know, we start off with the grandparents, which... so they're our access point to, the, to our ancestors, and then we bring in is the energy of the father, you know. And then through that, there's this relationship with money, through the relationship with creativity, so is helping to hone what it, even like what is our what is our channel and what is it that our roots are really calling us to to bring forth. So there's a lot, and I'm not I I'm questioning whether seven months is going to be long enough. <laughs> um, but I you know I can't have a seven-year course that would that would be a, I don't think too many people would want to sign up to to commit <laughs> for seven years, but certainly if people. For me, walking the, walking the four altars, certainly in ceremonial settings and whatever is every time is a spiral, you know, you start off here and then the next time it goes deeper and the prayer gets, the more recognition, the more, the more understanding, forgiveness, the more celebration. So it's, it's a be- for me, it's the guide for life, you know, so theoretically it could be seven years. That would be a good a good walk so and a good good way to form brotherhood and, and sisterhood so
0: oh absolutely and ex- expanding a, a like-minded community you know is is most mm-hmm. likely one of the one of the goals of it too but you know there's also you know when when anyone decides to teach anything i feel like the the adage or the saying holds true and you know if you want to really learn something start teaching it to others mm-hmm. you know and then once you're held accountable or the information that you're sharing and arm goes up and they ask you a question that's puzzling or or makes you stop for a moment is when you've received a lesson in the teachings that that is a valuable or a value to you and kind of rekindles that that relationship with the with the subject that you, that you've decided to master so so I totally get it and I, I do that I try to find that in everything that I do you know just um I, I'm always forever that and I Tell everyone that that I work with, the day that I stop learning is the day that I'm no longer on this earth, you know, because I'm I'm not here to to teach. I'm here to learn alongside everybody. And if if we're not on the same um, level of of learning, then I'm more than willing to share the knowledge that I've received, you know. But in those in those moments, I'm often looking for for more myself. You know, I've never considered myself to be an expert of anything. Mm-hmm. I'm just a a forever student you know a lifelong student of of life and and the human experience
1: yeah yeah that's why i say i think it'll be good
0: for me as well (laughs) (laughs) absolutely no i completely relate i'm looking forward to, to participating and uh in in the show notes we'll go ahead and uh by the way for for anyone who hasn't heard the music in the show notes, we'll have uh, links to to Spotify and SoundCloud for for Miskitaki Musica, as well as um, the information of the four altars. Uh, four altars will be available uh, through uh, to our community um, mm-hmm. when Miskitaki visits. So he'll he'll be here to uh, to kind of help you and in, help introduce the book to the community. Uh, we think it's going to be uh, bear a tremendous fruit in the development of our members and and. Uh, Myself included, you know, I'm, I'm very much already seeking the the counsel and support that's required in in taking this uh, this book on as as a um, as a tool for for developing my spirituality and developing you know my life uh, to be to be um, you know in in line with with nature again. I think is is what I'm after. You know, just just returning to humanity and and understanding. Uh, my role in in all of this and yep so i'm looking forward to sharing that and um my dad i shared the book with my dad by the way and uh and his struggle so far has been you know he he, i gave it to him and he started reading before me so he's actually ahead Mm -hmm. and uh and now he's he's once again the teacher you know you know so there's that uh, dynamic to it, but nonetheless is his struggle. You know, my dad doesn't have, you know, experience with working, uh, with master plants, he's very religious, um, raised in, in a Catholic environment. He went through a diaconate program, um, which, you know, he decided not to pursue, uh, for, for personal reasons you know um it was not for a lack of qualification or or faith you know there was just some some things that came up that he disagreed with so he's he's always been a mentor for mine even even now and a supporter at that um now that he's seen a, a sustainable you know change in me that that's recognizable um as compared to the person i used to be so he's who i lean on for spirituality for obvious reasons he's he's uh, studied you know for for a long time um, faith, not religion. you know, and spirituality, not religion. He just happens to wear you know, a cowboy's jersey and be a fan of of Catholic uh, you know religion because that that's what what brought him to to spirituality and faith. But um nonetheless, where his disconnect is is tying the altars together, you know, because there's there's the consciousness aspects of of the altars. Um, and, it, and it really kind of ties in a lot of different it's almost uh omnistic in a sense of uh bringing in uh chakras um like you know different ideals from different um rel- religious backgrounds so for him the hard or the difficult um, uh, concept is is to tie all four altars together in a way that that is that is um, digestible to the mind you know mm-hmm. so um I don't know if you can offer any any insight there, but it but it is and, and you know even through our discussion, it is a hard topic to broach if you've never experienced unconditional love, you know, mm-hmm. or or had a heart opening experience, you know. So it's um in my mind, uh, I can understand why it's it's not a conceivable you know, ideology for him. So and so it's going to be interesting as he as he continues through the book. I mean, he's, he's probably 10 or 15 pages ahead of me at in this point. So he's still very much uh, approaching the four alters segment of uh, of the book. But, but yeah, I'd love to get your insight on that.
1: Yeah, I think I think it'll become a little bit more clear as as he goes through it because um, the introduction is the introduction and then the concepts revealed within the four altars uh, they they have a flow between them but yeah there's a whole section in the in the altar of fire is is to do with is also the altar of medicines so there's a quite a lot about that it will also add some context as to what those kind of that environment is a little bit um it's, it's maybe not maybe not for everybody uh, or maybe or maybe not for everybody will receive it quite at the, at the right time. Um, but there's a wealth of knowledge that can be can be found. And I'm not sure if the. Yeah, I know. I know some of the different concepts might seem like they're being linked together, like the four altars with the chakras. Right. But Alonso's understanding is that they are shared discoveries, shall we say, from different cultures at different points in time they're actually the same understanding. So is is a shared human understanding that when we take away the the shapes and the forms of of let's say the structures of of Christianity or of society, then the the ancestors of many different cultures arrived at the same understanding of what the roots of life are or and it's yeah, it's it's it. I think it'll come together. If not, then, then maybe maybe your father can join the study group too. Oh, and
0: absolutely, he, and I think he
1: could add, add some some more. Everyone that's going to join is going to add value and understanding, and that's the point. The point is discussion. The point is, okay, let's let's get into the topic. Let's let's check our understanding. Like we've read this, like we we might understand we've understood it. Okay, let's. Let's have a dialogue about that and let's let's see if we can break it down a little bit. Let's see if we can add value to it from our own personal experience. Let's see if we can bring it into relation with our own life. Like, can we relate to this from our life? And beyond the prayers of, you know, clarifying this, that, and the other, you know, like how how do we how do we reflect that? How do we absorb it? And the more points of reference, it's the same with a, um, it's the same with the ceremony, you know, or the same with life. Like, I cannot know what somebody else's experience of a ceremony is. I only know what mine is. I cannot know what someone's experience of life is. I can only know what mine is. I, I don't know how somebody else sees behind their eyes. And I see differently, like that, than I do from that. And I'm still right. the same person. So I don't know what I don't know what somebody else is saying, so or, or seeing. So when we have the integration circles at the end of the, of the ceremony, that really helps us to, to see that, OK, out of these 20, 40 people, whatever it is, like three people, three people, have gone through what apparently it looks like the same ceremony. With 20 people with how, the diversity of experience, the diversity of, of points of relation within the integration circles, the more we can learn about each other through that opening of that space, allows us to have more points of reference to be able to develop a way of compassionate understanding, a way of empathic listening, a way of relation that is less introverted and more accepting of what we can add to value with each other as opposed to staying in separation so hopefully more the more dialogue that's encouraged around these topics the more the more we can the more we can learn and get to know each other so it was a win-win
0: you know oh, absolutely and then you know over the years it's it's been a, a beautiful development between my father and I, in in that sense, you know, because the dialogue used to be a closed dialogue where, you know, at one point when I was in high school, it was, it was extreme enough to, if you, if you don't share the same ideals, then you should probably find somewhere else to stay situation, you know, and um, it's, it's developed and and become, you know, more of a, of a discussion of, of a collective consciousness rather than, than holding on to an ideal that, that for all we know it could be right or wrong. You know, like it's it's very much, and that's why, you know, part of my goal in in creating an entheogenic church is to share the teachings of all the teachers that are that have walked this earth. You know, I think that omnism is is um very important. There's there's teachings from from all religions and from all spiritual leaders that are of value and and can develop us as, as a collective consciousness in a way that that will get us closer to understanding closer to enlightenment so um so I've, I've we do not discriminate we we you know invite everybody into into our circles and listen and grow from from the lessons that they're willing to share with us in those moments so um and i think that resonates in this book too you know there's um and and you know coming back to omnism like bringing in um you know, Buddhist beliefs and and uh, just just a, a a collective, you know, of of all of the teachings in a way that is relatable, like Alonso Dario has done in this book, is is right on track with with how I feel the mission should be. You know, collecting from from all of these stories and all of these teachings and and coming to terms, um, and and you know, common ground where we're actually moving forward with this instead mm-hmm. of arguing about semantics and timing and and uh who's right and who's wrong and who's who's god stronger than the others and you know whatever the case may be <laughs>
1: yeah i love that that notion of that one person's truth could be could be more valid than another person's truth one person's religion is the true religion over another person's also belief that there is that you know is competing competing for truth when and when, when it is only is only ah only, only one point of reference of truth you
0: know right
1: no is a is is incredibly uh, incredibly confusing way to live you know? i know and i
0: remember as a as a child coming up with a concept of color right like uh, as as they were teaching me what the color red was the color blue was they were pointing to the same object you know and saying this is red and this is blue and this is green and this is purple, whatever the colors they named off were they were pointing and giving me a reference to look at to associate that the name of that color. But if my shade of red is your shade of blue and we're calling it red, then we're still perceiving the same object um, with the same name, but possibly in a different hue. you know, but we'll never know it because that's where the finger was pointing, you know to the to the circle that was red. And we've given it the name red. And uh, now we share, you know, a, a likeness or or you know a relatable object with the same color, but it could very well be different colors. So I remember it as a kid thinking about this, you know, and, and as you were saying, being inquisitive even even at that age of of like perception and and relativity and and all of it, you know, just kind of trying to figure out, well, wait a second, like if I point at anything and say, this is the name of it, then I'm going to associate it with that name, you know, like, but what if I see it differently? I think that kind of translates here, you know, in in the same sense, it's, uh, it's very much all of us calling spirituality by different names and, and nature by different names and, and, you know, creators by different names um, to try to come to to an agreement i think would be a justice you know for all of us on as as humanity you know like really coming to terms with with something that we can all resonate with and, and finding common ground
1: mm-hmm. yeah well there's a lot of space for a lot of space for dialogue a lot of space for re-clarification
0: yeah
1: i have to the same like how can like we we can believe we're talking about the same thing but actually what we're imagining what we're imagining, we're talking about, could be completely other, you know. So we could be talking about a chair, but my picture of a chair could be very different from your picture of a chair.
0: Right.
1: And we try to apply that concept through language to such big topics as. Whatever the word is, God or spirit or or love. And you know, it's and we still think we're talking about the same thing.
0: But right. Of course. Yes. Mm. So Gareth, what uh, what lessons in the four altars have you seen already transform your life uh, in in profound ways? Like, are there are there certain teachings in the four altars that you carry with you on a daily basis as a reminder um, of of you know the ideal that that you're practicing within the four altars?
1: I would say <clears throat> it's maybe not a teaching. It's maybe um... It's maybe reference points. Like my reference points towards my to my my ancestral lineage I definitely. Um, I have more awareness of those. Um, my rewriting of certain stories within my relationships with my with my family. Um, uh, my clarification of my prayers, and the need to carry those prayers. Um, uh, in more presence Um, it's again as a strong strong lessons about you know emotional patterns mental patterns and again isolating those identifying those and consciously trying to be aware of them like bring aware of them in a daily life not just in a ceremonial setting not just in that, that that special place that we go to 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 receive but actually then to try to to pay more attention in the in the daily life um, it's brought attention into the areas of of what kind of walk I want to make for this life you know, knowing that it is only is only only this time around and staying staying grounded in that. And then again into the prayer of the of, of the air, you know. Okay, so I'm willing to accept that the more that I love, the more capacity I have to love, the more capacity I have to empathize, the more capacity I have to feel feel that pain. You know, the more willingness I will have to become more vulnerable. Right? So it's, it's all woven through it and yeah, it's it's a consolidation of a prayer, and also an encouragement to discover my own prayer in, through somebody else sharing the walk of their prayer. You know, so yeah, there's there's a lot of gratitude, um, but also a re- deep recognition of of our shared humanity, and yeah, there's there's a lot. I, like I said I could do it with a refresher course so next year I'm take
0: my, I will take my own course right absolutely no and it's like I said it's something I look forward to and and for the audience you know to to get just a teeny tiny glimpse of some of the teachings I know that subliminally a lot of it was was um, recognizable as I was reading the book and in some of the songs that you've written too you know some of those messages. Um, are are trickled into into some of the lyrics, and and uh, it was just nice to see that correlation between the teachings and your music. You know, which which makes the the message of your songs even more profound and and touching in that way. You know that you're you're taking your life experiences and and pouring your heart out into your songs. So so yeah, thank you very much for that. Okay, and our final question for for this evening. Is uh, how have Antiochans influenced your spirituality? I'd say they gave
1: me the direct experience. Um, I think that's probably. I mean, they've influenced my entire entire life for for you know, better part of two decades. So. Um, but certainly, they gave me. They gave me a. They gave me that direct, direct experience. I would say that allowed. Allowed me to go beyond the separation of the material and spiritual, and to find that. That you that I don't know. They provided a landscape of exploration. It's so much because, you know, it's. Uh, I uh, had direct experiences of, of spirituality way before empty um, But I think it gay the way it best, I have no idea. <laughs> but I remember writing a piece a decade ago, uh, something about the hallmark of the mystical experience is part of humanity's origin. You know whether it's with and with with antigens or without them, you know we can have them in so many ways. You can go go to the desert fast, go go to that mountain, sit there for four days, seven days, whatever. Go and call on that. You can have them walking down the street. You know is the the mystical experiences in every single religion. In every single religion, there were, there were prophets. There were. There were seers, there were sages, there were those that were touched by a mystical experience and it transformed their life. And I think that we're unifying, we're we're reclaiming the mystical, we're reclaiming the metaphorical, we're reclaiming the magical, and we're reclaiming the interior landscape through direct experience and awakening of different Pure, you know, awakening, purification. We're ejecting a lot of programs, we're ejecting a lot of conditioning, a lot of confusion, a lot of misalignment with what this earth walk is about. So, I ultimately. It, can't be separated for me into spiritual or human. It's, it's, it, it brings a, a, a heightened awareness of gratitude for life as it is on this planet right now and what it means to be human, you know, to go beyond the spiritual, to go beyond the shamanic, and to become more embodied in, in all of it. And then how to action that, how to action it into the world, how to you know go beyond the concept that that's one of the things that I found difficult in, in in the meditations or in the in the study of Buddhism and things like this in my early 20s it, it was fine but it wasn't I, I didn't find it it was out of the world whereas I, I find this is, 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 is a very it brings you in touch with a, it brought me in touch with a with humanity within a spiritual context that i could appreciate enjoy and work with that fit a frame of reference that i understand and it taught me more about myself than i knew and i'm still learning i'm still forgetting i'm still learning and that for me is is a beautiful and fascinating honor to be able to to learn in this way and yeah eventually we're gonna have to you know make a stand and say this is this is our birthright to reclaim those territories within ourselves and the freedom to to explore that that's one of the reasons I love living in Peru is is the freedom and liberty to to explore that in in an allowed say allowed allowed setting allowed space where it's culturally respected you know I to have that respect for the plant kingdom which brings extra respect for the whole planet, extra respect for the animal kingdom, the mineral kingdom, for the human domain, and the willingness and want to be able to to, to, to share with the people that want to know, knowing that not everybody does want to know, but knowing that we do this work for ourselves, but ultimately we don't do it for ourselves, we do it for, for our friends, for our families, for all our relations that we come into contact with, and we don't even do it for us, we do it for our future generations, and we do it for the ones in the past as well, you know, so it's what it's, it's, it's ultimately an honor to be, to be able to walk in that understanding that it's just, it's just humanity. And so I, at what part did they played? Uh, every part. So,
0: okay. um, Beautifully said. Thank you very much for sharing. Appreciate it. For, for those of uh, those in the audience that are new to uh, to your music and um, are, are just meeting you for the first time, what's a good way for them to, to stay connected with you?
1: Hmm. Currently at present, I think the best way to stay connected with me is um, best way to listen to the music is on Spotify. Um, I don't really have a SoundCloud presence. Um, my website, is always is always a good way of I update it sometimes and I'm always welcome to receive emails through that through that and I do my best to reply to them as quick as possible. Um, I currently don't have a Facebook at the moment but that might come back before Christmas. Um, in my developing relationship with that with that <laughs> form. I've tried to look for alternatives but nothing seems to nothing seems to really stand out. So the best way is, is old fashioned email. know or just listen to the music
0: beautiful yeah and we'll go ahead and provide all that information and in the show notes for anyone who who's tuned in um but on behalf of raquel and i i'd just like to thank you gareth for for your time this evening i think it was a beautiful interview and and uh, a tremendous insight into into the human being that you are and and the mind that you are and um i just uh like to thank you from the bottom of our heart we're looking forward to to sharing space with you soon and uh is there anything you'd like to to leave us with
1: no i I think i've said enough for uh, i think i have to stay silent for the next week or so
0: Um, (laughs) beautiful thank you very much Uh, and i I really appreciate your authenticity throughout the interview and um and once again if you're interested in joining us have topics you'd like us to cover or hosts you'd like us to feature please let us know by leaving a voice message or contacting us via social media or email we look forward to growing and sharing with you and in the spirit of source offer you love and light together we are the medicine in love we are the cure